We are all born with a purpose, yet identifying what that is can be very challenging. It can be even more challenging to find purpose in your business. So, is it possible to find purpose in your business and make profit at the same time? Not only is it possible, but a business led by purpose can be even more profitable than one that is simply led by profit. Join Robert Fukui as he explores how to be purpose-led and profitable while making a positive impact in your community. Good morning. Good Monday morning. Happy Monday. And welcome back to the Purpose and Profitability Podcast, where we believe that having a profitable, purpose-led business can lead to community transformation. So welcome back. Hopefully everyone had a great weekend. Today I've got a special guest. I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I've got Chuck Proudfit as my special guest. He's the founder and president of Skillsource, a consultancy employing over 30 contractors and delivering sustainable client growth through applied biblical principles. Chuck's also uh, developed his general management experience at three industry-leading firms, the Procter & Gamble Company, Ernest & Julio Gallo, Winery, Lens Crafters Corporation, and then while at Harvard University, he pioneered the school's organizational development curriculum. An avid educator, Chuck has served as an adjunct faculty member at the Great Oaks Institute and Cincinnati Christian University. He received uh, the Angel Award for Community Service from the Smith Family Foundation, and led his company Skillsource to a Tri-State Success Award for Exceptional Business Growth, a Torch Award Ethics Commendation from the Better Business Bureau, a Perfect 10 Certified Corporate Culture Designation, C-Suite, excuse me, it's Monday and it's early on the West Coast here, <laughs> so I'm getting my tongue together, and a C-Suite <laughs> Recognition from LEAD. Um, he's also an executive board member of Self-Sustaining Enterprises, generating profits for philanthropy through entrepreneurial ventures uh, for New Way Foundation, combating poverty in Nigeria, and with good cities, revitalizing communities. He's an elder at Grace Chapel and a co-founder of NET, NET, Neighborhoods Embracing Transformation, and also an author now, Business Street. <laughs> That's the name of the book, Transforming Lives Through Enterprise, and the author of Citywide Marketplace Ministry in the Box. He also holds a black belt, so you don't want to mess with him, <laughs> in Taekwondo under the U.S. Olympic coach, Hong Kong Kim. Now that's that's funny. Hong Kong Kim. <laughs> he and his wife Jerl have two children, Aiden and Maya, both adopted from South Korea. Welcome, Chuck. It's great accomplishments. I'm looking forward to this. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Robert. Thank you once again for for doing this. I'm really looking forward to this topic. And then the title for today is unlocking the growth potential of your business. And, you know, I don't know how many years ago now, um, at a conference in Orlando, but uh, reconnected uh, a couple months ago at the same conference um, and talked about leadership issues and organizational growth issues. Because um, I noticed even as I'm consulting, you know, my, my specialty is in marketing. And, but then once I get into the business, I, I see that, yeah, we can, put together a great marketing plan, marketing strategy, um, and all that to help get more customers and, and grow the business. But I've noticed that if not just the leadership, if the leadership doesn't um, make it some tweaks and also bring in or develop other leaders within the business, that the, the business isn't going to grow too far. Um, in fact, the you know bringing in um, increasing sales can actually probably um, do the business um, harm, uh, more harm than good because they don't have the right leadership structure in place. So, um, so to me, 
the quality of its leadership determines not only the direction of the company, but its growth and or limitations of growth. So I remember Chuck and I, we had this discussion um, um, a couple months ago. And of course, now we're, you're working with me on the, on, the, on the current client. And certainly this is obviously you, you, you know this very well because this is kind of your space, right? Right. And so. Yeah, I sure do. And, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just, yeah, I, I relate to everything that you were saying because for years as a general business consultant, I would help clients develop a strategic plan to grow an organization and then I'd come back to check on them. And often the execution or implementation of the plan had gone awry in huge ways. Mm -hmm. And when I would hear the details, I was kind of mystified. It's like, wow, why would the leaders choose to implement the plan that way when it doesn't, it didn't to me at least, make any sense? Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that the leadership dimension was absolutely critical to sustainable growth in the organization. And if my goal was to help a client grow sustainably, it wasn't enough for me to give them a great strategy. Mm -hmm. I had to help them become great leaders. And this was really a shift in my thinking. It led me, Robert, actually to a search. I spent years looking at material in the space of leadership development for corporate America, trying to find really um, practical tools to help. And, And what I discovered was a lot more material in the space of why and what than in the space of how. And what I mean by that is, why does leadership matter? So like John Maxwell's Law of the Lid, you know, the organization won't go any further than than the leader mm-hmm. and his or her capacity to move the organization. Uh, or or the, the what, you know, what does it look like? Well, you know, a leader casts vision and then pulls people together and, and then, you know, takes the hill and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to the nitty-gritty, the block and tackle, the nuts and bolts, the day-to-day leadership decisions that cumulatively make for success or failure, Mm -hmm. there was a lot less content in that space that I found helpful. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I would sum it up this way, Robert. If I looked at the whole body of work around leadership and I said, you know, what what from a process point of view, what does it communicate about the journey of a leader? And, and basically the journey is you establish some kind of a purpose, you know, a mission that you have or a, an aspiration that you have, a vision that you've been given, whatever it is. You assemble the team, people that are going to come with you to accomplish that mission. You figure out a plan and then you take action to implement. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's certainly a sense of predictability or continuity in that process, you know, purpose, team and plan and action. But some leaders are dramatically more effective than others at implementing that leadership process. Mm-hmm. Yep, sure. Well, the, it begs the question, why, you know, what makes for effectiveness or ineffectiveness? And as I dug deeper with some uh, help from some interesting resources, discovered that there are three key areas of effectiveness or ineffectiveness that have everything to do with a leader's success following that process from start to finish. The first area is self-awareness, the extent to which we really understand ourselves Mm -hmm. at work as leaders, what makes us tick and so forth, and how others see us managing emotions, the extent to which we're able to harness inevitable emotions at work for constructive engagement and 
progress rather than paralysis and all that. Mm-hmm. And third is agile thinking, the ability to work through the tough problems that work life throws us so that we can figure out what to do when it's not clear and easy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And looking forward to to tackling a little bit of that. Obviously, we're not going to have a lot of time to go too deep, but at least to, um, to tee it up for everyone to, to be, well, (laughs) self-aware. What are some of the issues that us as leaders need to, to, to think about? And, you know, we talk about leadership a lot of times it's, it's, talked about as kind of like a, I, don't know, I guess, a soft skill. I mean, that's kind of, I've heard that word thrown around. That's a soft skill, almost like it's, it's important, but it's not as uh, important to growing the business, uh, to the health of the business as, as a good marketing plan and some research and development and, and, you know, a good financial structure and all that. Um, but the reality is the leaders are steering the ship, making all these day-to-day decisions and one wrong decision, even small incorrect decisions here or there, as you said earlier, there's a cumulative effect uh, of, you know, a, a lot of little wrong steps that make up big wrong steps, make up one big wrong step, which makes maybe steers the, the business in a little bit of a different direction, unhealthy direction than maybe it should. Um, but before we get into that, you know, the top, the t- uh, title of this podcast is Purpose and Profitability. So we heard a little bit about how you kind of got started. Um, you know, as I read your, your bio, obviously you have a great um, corporate background as well. Um, but how did you make that transition? What decide for you, when did you decide to make that transition from a corporate environment to doing your own thing? <laughs> yeah, what a great question. Um, it's funny because part of the answer is, why did I get waylaid from being entrepreneurial to go into corporate? <laughs> Let me explain. Uh, when I was growing up, the son of two English professors, business and entrepreneurism and all that wasn't part of my household. It wasn't part of you know my childhood. Yeah. It was more like you know Shakespeare and all that kind of stuff. But I kind of knew that there was something about me that was really different from my parents. And when I got into high school, I really fell in love with cars. And, of course, English professors don't drive cool cars. We had a Honda and a Subaru. (laughs) (laughs) So I came up with an idea. I started what today would be called an auto detailing business. And that I did on the side, you know, I was in high school, where I would only clean cool cars. That was like Porsches (laughs) and Jaguars and all that. And of course, I had to drive them to our house where all my supplies were. Um, so I got to you know, drive these cars and cool. clean them and interact with the owners. And I was making, this is the early 1980s. On average, I was making about $25 an hour. Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. So I got this early taste of being entrepreneurial. And when I went to Harvard, I launched another company, which was a desktop publishing company based on Apple's then newly introduced Macintosh computer and laser writer Mm -hmm. printer. Mm -hmm. And this was disruptive in what at the time was called the offset printing industry. So I actually started out young adult life as an entrepreneur, but I felt like I needed to go into corporate America to establish credibility and to learn things, you know, training ground companies and all that kind of stuff. Plus it was sort of what everybody did. And so I, I felt like, if I didn't go into corporate, I was missing something. And to be honest, Robert, I spent my time in corporate force fitting myself into a corporate mold. Uh-huh. It's not that I couldn't do it. It just, it felt constraining. Mm-hmm. So when the time came 
to act on a vision I had to bring the the general management and strategy insights that I'd learned in corporate to smaller businesses through an entrepreneurial venture at an affordable price, I could hardly wait to get started. <laughs> awesome. That's great. And because I know there's a lot of, uh, some people that are listening um, don't quite have their own business yet or are working into their business. So I've gotten questions before about, you know, how to, you know, people are that kind of in that, in that in-between mode. They're still in their uh, corporate job or a, a job and they're trying to move into their business. Um, but how do you do it? And when's the time to leave and all that? So, um, so just wanted you to share that part because I know there's people that listen that, you know, need to be encouraged that, Hey, you know, it's, uh, it, it can be done, you know, and I did it this, I did the same thing, you know, I just corporate corporate world. And then a few years ago launched into consulting full time. So talk to me about yeah. your, your purpose in, in your business. Um, I think, you know, as I read your bio, there's a little bit in that, <clears throat> the things you do with some of the nonprofits and obviously on your website too, you talked about some of the philanthropy things that you're doing, but talk to me, Bora, how you live out your purpose through your business and what is your purpose? What do you feel your personal purpose is and your business purpose and how do you live that out? Sure. Well, you know, when I was at Harvard, I remember a case study that we did one day, which was, what is the purpose of business? And the premise of the case study was the purpose of a business is profitability. You know, you mm -hmm. go into business to make money. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was too limiting. It was too one-dimensional, but it was hard for me to put language on that. I just sort of knew in my heart that making a lot of money wouldn't be enough, at least for me. Mm -hmm. Well, without boring you with a lot of details, Robert, I ended up finding myself frustrated at work where I was making a lot of money for my employers and making quite a bit of money myself, mm -hmm. but not feeling a real sense of fulfillment. And it led me on a spiritual search that in my case brought me to Christianity as a person who was becoming faith filled as a young working professional, spending most of my waking hours at work. I wanted my work life to reflect my faith life. I wanted the work I was doing to make more of a difference, not just to make a dollar. Mm -hmm. And I was wrestling with what that looked like. Now, there are obvious things like you try to be a good person at work and, you know, be ethical and, and all of that. But I felt like there was more. And to me, business and especially entrepreneurism is an amazing platform to redeem aspects of our society that otherwise are left in the dark, are left under-resourced, are left untapped. Mm -hmm. What does it look like to create employment for people who otherwise wouldn't have jobs? Yeah. What does it look like to uh, open up companies in abandoned buildings that now take on a new life and are no yeah. longer a blight in a community? Yeah. What does philanthropy look like in a deeper and broader sense? And that's been my heart with the consulting work that I do is to really understand business as an avenue for improving quality of life. Mm -hmm. Great. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, you know, we, and we'll probably need to talk more after this podcast because I've got a couple other projects and I want to kind of shoot some things by you, but, uh, that's great to, to hear and see because that, that's my heart as well is, you know, a lot of people, when you talk about purpose, um, usually they're talking about maybe giving their money to different causes, which is great. But they often overlook the impact that their business itself can do. 
So just the fact that the business is, is there and employing people, I said, you know, you've got a big responsibility of, of you're, you're, you're kind of, I mean, in lack of a better term, but kind of controlling their financial destiny in a sense because they're working for you and you're, you're paying them and so forth. And so they have your, your, their financial destinies kind of in your hand. And so you've got a big responsibility for that. And, um, and that's just one, that, that's the tip of the iceberg. That's also that wherever they're doing business, they have the community around them. Um, and they have the potential to really positively impact the community, not just the people that they're working for them, but also then their customers and their vendors. I mean, there's so many things that the business touches and you get a chance to make a positive impact in their lives. So let's go back to, um, yes. Oh, anything you want to add to that? No, just that I agree with you. I think we become so compartmentalized. You know, we think of our work as, uh, just a means of making a living, right? Rather than fulfilling a, a deeper purpose, not just for us, but for the world. And I think we need to have more conversations like the one you and I are having. And I think we need to have more role models out there in the world who are living out a deeper sense of fulfillment through work and therefore are able to speak to the quality of work for a quality of life. You know, it's amazing when you look at the stats, Robert, by 2030, half of America's workforce will be in what's called the gig economy. They will be project workers hired on a contract basis, mm. not traditional employees. No. So the nature of work is changing really significantly. And if so many of us are going to be working one project at a time, mm. why not do that purposefully? Yeah, that's good. That's great stuff. Well, that might be another uh, podcast episode. <laughs> so we dig deeper into that. So tell me about self-awareness, yeah. managing emotions, agile thinking. How are these three topics or three components um, essential to being a good leader and in turn really help you know, grow the business? Great question. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago in this research, the distinctive marker, the distinguisher between more effective and less effective leaders, all following a process, right, to find a purpose and to recruit a team and to develop a plan and to take action. The more effective leaders were the ones who had greater levels of self-awareness, capacity to manage emotions, and agile thinking capability. Mm -hmm. And let me just kind of unpack those a little bit. And then, you know, we can have some dialogue back and forth. But to start with self-awareness, think of this as a coin with two sides on it. One side is that we as a leader are aware of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the other side of it is we're aware of how we come across to other people. Mm -hmm. the, the first side of that coin, are we aware of ourselves? You know, I, I was um, traveling recently on an airplane. And as I boarded the plane, I took a quick look to the left. And I saw the cockpit. And it's interesting in the cockpit of an airplane, you have all these gauges, you know, from floor to ceiling. Yeah, yeah. And all of them are designed to help the pilot know the condition of the airplane inside and out. So inside, it's things like cabin pressure and air temperature and all of that. And outside, it's things like velocity, uh, altitude, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that most of us, if you'll allow the metaphor, have a cockpit 
mm. where we don't register many of the gauges that are <laughs> yeah. inside our own cockpit for how yeah. we are doing. Yeah. You know, we may feel out of sorts, but we don't know why. There mm. may be a person who rubs us the wrong way, but we're not sure what that's about. Mm. <laughs> there may be a day when we come home from work and we feel unusually drained, but we can't understand what caused that. Mm-hmm. All of these are examples of self-awareness, understanding what it is in our environment that either uh, motivates and uh, propels us, accelerates us, or uh, demotivates and slows us down. Mm-hmm. So this is this first part of self-awareness. The second part is understanding how we come across other people. Often we may think, you know, for example, I have many of my clients who will want to give candid feedback to their employees. But when I ask the employees about their experience, they'll say it wasn't candid, it was cutting and embarrassing. You know, for example, a CEO who um, basically uh, tore apart the work of of one of the rank and file employees, but did it in public Mm. in front of everybody, including this employee's manager. It just devastated this person. It destroyed their confidence. And the CEO was clueless. Yeah. had absolutely no idea that he brought the employee to a point where she was ready to quit the company. Mm. Yep. And I've had those experiences too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm pausing there because this area of self-awareness is a really interesting one, but often misunderstood. It's a little bit of a black box. Mm-hmm. If you'll pardon the pun with playing metaphor, you know, yeah. but, but uh, trying to understand who we are and how we show up at work is really important. That's always, that's a, you know, very important topic. And, you know, there's maybe some people here listening that are still employed and it's like, how do we get our owner or the president or our manager to understand you know, what they're doing and who they are? You know, they're, they're not obviously self-aware. Um, obviously, hopefully they wouldn't be doing that if they were aware of what they're doing and maybe, or maybe some are aware and they don't care, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, right. you know, how do you, you know, how do you address that? I guess for most people on this call are, are have businesses or business owners. So at least now they can start to think about themselves. So what's, what's the next step? What is the step? How do you become aware of what's going on and how others see them and what the kind of impact they're making on other people? Wow, that's a really good question. So I guess the first thing I would say is to start observing yourself. So when you're like coming home from work and you reflect on the day, make it a habit to reflect on your day at work and ask yourselves questions like, uh, of all the people that I interacted with today, were there any that were particularly um, charging my batteries and were there any that were particularly draining my batteries who were they and what was it about them Uh, that would be an example or another one would be um, you come home from work and and you're reflecting on the day and it's like you feel on edge you feel you know out of sorts or anxious and you ask yourself the question you know what what is that you know what what is causing that and often there'll be under the surface things that we may not fully have words for, but we'll sort of sense that the company's in trouble or uh, that we're starting to lose our motivation in the job that we've got, but we haven't really taken the time to be reflective. Mm-hmm. So the, the, big, the big behavior in self-awareness is reflection, mm-hmm. um, understanding, and then interpreting you know, what's going on inside of yourself. So, so if, so if there's that. any one thought, that would be it. 
Yeah, so that, that's good. That's an interesting, um, interesting way of looking at it. So go back to what you said about the um, when you're thinking about maybe someone, maybe one of the employees that maybe you ha- that drained you, or the ones you know. You said there's some that energize you, and there's some that drain you. And when you're thinking about the ones that are that were draining, that you had some draining interaction. So talk to me more about that. So what would that what would that mean, and how can they how how do they address that? Well, the way that I like to think about it is behaviorally. Mm-hmm. So first you have to identify the people that are battery chargers or battery drainers, but then mm-hmm. you say to yourself, why? What mm-hmm. is it about you know what they say or what they do? Or maybe it's just that they they are what they are, but your response to them, you know, becomes an issue or becomes a drain in some way Mm -hmm. that you start to understand. So that's the big thing. But usually, you know, Robert, when I reflect on it, I think back to so many different clients when we walk through this journey together, usually it's things like um, some employees who are always critical and um, down on uh, new ideas. So uh, leaders will often bring new ideas for consideration or Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. They'll uh, open the organization to try something new and take a risk. And mm-hmm. there will always be people who are doubters and downers. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. like, yeah, but we don't have any evidence for that. I don't like that idea. You're mm-hmm. scaring me, mm-hmm. you know, um, all that kind of stuff. And for a lot of leaders um, who know that they're part of their job is to take the organization forward, not just to leave it where it is, but to mm-hmm. move it forward. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you have people that don't want to move? Mm-hmm. They're happy right where they are. Right. Uh, that you may remember that uh, book title a few years back. Who moved my cheese? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was written yeah. for precisely this reason. The employees are like, "Why did you, you know, change things? I like them just the way they are." <laughs> so this this is a classic where a leader feels that. Another one uh, is the leader who uh, feels the weight of responsibility. You sort of know that whatever choices you make, there will be consequences and that the buck stops with you. And some leaders shoulder that responsibility more easily than others. You know, there are some employees that will tell you if you ask them, they don't want to go into management, for example. They'll say, look, I would rather just remain a staff person or line worker. I don't want the extra responsibility Mm -hmm. of managing people or being responsible for a department. And when you really dig what you'll often find is that it's fear. They're afraid of the pressure. Mm-hmm. But even for those who are willing to shoulder it, there are days when that pressure is heavy. Uh, I spoke with a university president, uh, had lunch with him last week, and he was talking about major layoffs that they had to make, laying off 30% of the faculty at their university in order to return it to profitability. And what it was like, to have these people come into his office that he'd known for decades and who had worked there in some cases for their entire careers. Mm, And you're letting them know that the university cannot employ them anymore. And you're the one who has to tell them. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. You know, those great examples, because I know as, as leaders, as business owners, you know, as you employ people or even managers that you oversee, you're always going to have the people, the staff that you're going to conflict with. Right. And so thinking and being kind of aware and kind of reflecting on what's going on, what's causing that, 
um, maybe helps you better be able to relate to the to the person and identify maybe even if they're even a good fit for this department or not or even for the for the job or not um, or, or maybe yes. for a different way to communicate to them in a way that they don't feel as um, anxious I, I think it's uh, obviously there's whenever there's change there's a level of fear and for some people some people handle it better than others <laughs> and so and so maybe that's a situation that they have to figure out well what is the fear issue that they're they're having if I'm bringing a great a new idea um, I just want to have more constructive feedback right it's like okay maybe um, figure out a way to make it a, a better a better idea that it's more um, uh, that it's going to work better but if someone's just saying i don't like it or you know just really opposed to it um just kind of very black and white to it i mean that's that's not very constructive um so i think it's yeah to maybe communicate that person better it's like okay what's the issue here maybe they're what, what are they afraid of if, if this idea moves forward another great example back to self-awareness is how people are just naturally wired in their personalities like the introvert versus the extrovert i yeah went in to do some leadership training in a company. They make gauges that go in the dashboards for a lot of major manufacturers like Honda, BMW, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And as I walked into their facility, all of their managers are in this one open room with their desks all sort of stacked next to each other. It looks like a schoolroom. Mm -hmm. um, and as we went through the leadership training, one of the things that came out was that several of these managers are introverts. They are batteries recharging solitude. They're not shy. They just um, need reflection time and solitude time, but they don't get any in this work environment. They're in a fishbowl all day. Mm -hmm. And it was designed by extroverts for extroverts who love yeah. hanging out with everybody. <laughs> They're in the big room together, yeah. you know, but for the introverts, it's just exhausting. Yeah. And the extroverts who created this layout were not aware mm -hmm. of how they were impacting the introverts. Mm, yeah. And this is just one more example of how self-awareness, you know, being aware um, of yourself, but also mm. being aware of how you come across or how your choices mm. impact other people. Mm. Well, it's just a significant one. And, you know, and, and the other example I gave you just a minute ago um, kind of nicely dovetails to that second area that I'd mentioned of effectiveness, which is managing emotions. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So tell me more about that then. I was just about to ask you. <laughs> so create your own segue. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the, the thing about work is that it's one of the most, most emotional places we live. Because many of us spend most of our waking hours at work, and by definition, uh, work is filled with pressure. The reason it's filled with pressure is because our job at work is to be productive, and the only way to generate productivity is with pressure. Mm -hmm. And I, when I say pressure, I don't mean bad necessarily, but mm -hmm. if, if you don't start applying yourself, you won't produce anything. If the mm -hmm. machine doesn't uh, generate some sort of pressure and movement, it won't create anything. Mm -hmm. So it's really in the working world that many of us have most of our uh, really big, or at least some of our really big emotional encounters, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, the elation of being promoted or the yeah. devastation of being laid off or 
uh, the fear that comes with a new competitor that's just entered the marketplace and is threatening mm-hmm. to destroy your family business or mm-hmm. um, the insecurity when you're, you're the next generation of a family business and you really are not prepared to leave, but your, your father dies suddenly. And before you yeah. know it, you're in his office yeah. and everybody's looking to you to be a leader. You know, these are all areas of emotion. And the thing behaviorally to keep in mind here is that emotion is going to happen at work. It's not a question mm-hmm. of whether it's going to happen. Right. Right. It's a question of how we handle it. And most leaders set up to be able to handle it. It was kind of surprising to me because I, I figured you know, most leaders would kind of have their act together, at least be fairly competent with emotions, but many mm-hmm. of them are not. Okay. And let me, let me uh, explain what I mean by that. On the surface, you can often see uh, leaders who appear to be emotionally stable. You know, so they, sure. they keep their cool, right? We've right. got phrases like, stay, yeah. you know, cool, calm, collected, all mm-hmm. that, yeah. no drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the difficulty with that is that sometimes what's really going on is that we're stuffing our emotions down inside mm-hmm. of us, sure. yep. but we're not uh, letting people know. And they're feeling emotion too, but then they feel badly because you're not showing any And then they feel like they can't either. Mm -hmm. I had uh, my very first client when I launched my consulting firm was a guy with a moving and storage company. He and three other truck drivers had purchased the business and each one of them owned 25% of the company. He was elected the CEO, just as the name of his title. But the only way that anything could be decided is if there was a majority decision (laughs) and they were always split 50, 50. So when the guy hired, you never have have an even number. (laughs) It's just insane, but, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And um, long and short of it was the guy hired quickly because I had a client that they had two, they had co-presidents. They had two presidents. (laughs) Yes. It's the same kind of thing. And it's just like, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So this guy hired me after a massive heart attack and quadruple bypass surgery. Oh, wow. And I sat down with him and for like three months, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. So I would meet with him and he would just talk and talk and talk. And I was feeling guilty because I'm charging him money, you know, and I finally interrupted him. And I said, Russ, you know, I, I, this is bothering me. I'm not, giving you i'm not adding anything i'm not giving you ideas i'm just sitting here and listening and he said chuck don't you get it he said the reason i had this heart attack is i had no one to talk to Uh i had no safe place to share what was Uh going on what i was Uh feeling what my fears were Uh and it was really a powerful learning for me Uh of sometimes that the most important thing you can do is to listen but not just listening to others but also listening to ourselves so when we feel emotionally out of sorts, there's a simple uh, process. This is behavioral, Mm -hmm. a way to rid ourselves of emotional entanglements at work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. The first one is reflection. You know, it's like, what am I feeling? Most Mm -hmm. people really struggle to put uh, a word to what they're feeling. So that's why there's something out there called an emotion wheel. You know, if you Google it, you can download an example, but it gives you words. I'll have to download that because my wife's always asking, so what are you feeling? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Men men are especially horrible at this. They're like, I don't know. I I feel fine. And and it's obvious that they're not. 
Right. It's like, so pick a word on the wheel. Like I'm irritated. I'm frustrated. I'm exasperated. I'm ecstatic. I'm um, afraid. I'm terrified. I'm, you know, what, what yeah. word is it? Yeah. Uh, so reflection and then introspection. Um, why am I feeling this? You know, what triggered this? What do I do with this? And then the, the third part behaviorally is a declaration, you know, this, this person has terrified me because 10 years ago they fired me and now they've shown up in my work environment and I'm afraid it's going to happen again, you know, but to declare it out loud or at least to yourself so that you, you bring the fear to the surface and you understand consciously what's driving it so you can better manage it, manage yeah. emotions. And this is a tough and one what's for, really, like you said, tough one for guys because you know, we're, we're not brought up that way and it's uh, it's just a tough one to start to do. And so, yeah, I think you need yes. an accountability partner. If not, you know, go see a counselor or you have, or have a good consultant or coach like you that would, would do that. Cause I know, um, I'll do that with my, my clients. You know, I'm always willing to listen. I know they, they need to, to get it out. And, um, <clears throat> just for my couple of years, uh, my wife and I, before we got even married, we were going through kind of basic couples counseling. Um, so I went through all these, all these, and I still ch- are challenged with, you know, describing my emotions to my wife, <laughs> even after understanding the, the benefit of all that, too. <laughs> but it's still hard. It's still hard. You know, I don't know what, 17 years later. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And the reality is what we ideally should do is calibrate our emotional expression, mm-hmm. not stuff it down and bury it or yeah. blow our top and yeah. overreact, but yeah. to express emotion appropriately for the situation. And it, when we do that really well as a leader, we don't just manage our own emotions, but we help the people we lead to manage theirs. A great example is FDR at the time of the bombing of Pearl Harbor, which dragged the U.S. into World War II. And the evening of the bombing, he went on the social media of the day, which was the radio, and had what was called back then a fireside chat with mm-hmm. the nation. Yeah. And one of the things he said that night is so famous to this day because it speaks to this idea of helping others to manage their emotions. He said, the only thing we have to fear is... Fear itself. <laughs> Fear itself. Yeah. And what he was basically saying was, we are all terrified, including me, that we've just been dragged into a world war with crazies like Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, we may not win this war. Mm-hmm. But if we don't let fear get the best of us, then we can bring our best to what's going to be a horrible battle. Yeah, yeah. And he, he put in words what everyone was feeling, and he reassured an entire country yeah. by expressing the reality of the emotional situation. Yeah. And then, you know, when you're expressing your emotions on a regular basis, um, you know, you said something about blowing up, you, you won't, you, you won't blow up with your employees. Like sometimes if you're, if you're stressed, um, if you're fearing, you know, competitive issues or whatever, and, or even with one of your staff members, one of your employees, maybe you're not satisfied with them and just being able to be able to communicate that on a regular basis. Um, I mean, they think it, prevents even bigger emotional blowups because at some point even if you're stuffing at some point something's gonna it's gonna blow <laughs> right just the pressure just builds up yes and eventually it's gonna blow and it's not gonna be good for anybody um so i think expressing yes. emotions on a regular basis is, is so important um and it provides better um i think it uh, de- 
develops healthier relationships because everybody knows what's going on, knows what you're thinking or what you're feeling. Um, so there's no surprises. And so I think it manages um, the, the atmosphere, it manages the um, relationships a lot better as well. So the last, last point is agile Absolutely. thinking. So the last point on agile thinking, I know we just got a little bit of time here. I don't want to keep yeah. you too long, but it, this, is, this is a great conversation. <laughs> so I don't want it to end, but um, yeah. I know we all have things to do. But agile thinking, the last point of how, you know, what does yeah. that look like? So anybody in leadership knows that the toughest problems that nobody else knows how to solve and the hottest potatoes that nobody else wants to handle end up on the leader's desk. Uh-huh. And often the difference between success and failure in leadership is thinking through a response or a solution or an approach or a new product or whatever it is mm-hmm. to meet the needs of the day. And agile thinking is realizing that the most effective leaders are able to bring three qualities of thought to the way that they lead. And those three forms of thought are analytical thinking, creative thinking, and critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Now, analytical thinking is more about logic, process, workflow, sequence. Mm -hmm. It's understanding uh, step by step, what needs to happen. So as we opened up our call today, uh, if you think analytically about what leadership looks like, it's a process where we establish a purpose, recruit a team, develop a plan, and take action. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a way to analyze the process of leadership. But what does it look like when you've done your very best job as a leader, you know, to think through conditions and getting things set up? but you still get those curveballs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then somebody makes a bad decision and you're sitting down a day later and you're saying to everybody in a staff meeting, what were we thinking? Why did we make this choice? You know, this was mm-hmm. such a bad call. Mm-hmm. How did we get here? Mm-hmm. And this walks into the world of critical thinking. Uh, and I, by that, I don't mean criticism of people, but more to critically assess what, what were the assumptions that undergirded our choice? What other options had been on the table? What contingencies might have been available to us if we'd been more prepared? Mm -hmm. And how can we avoid this in the future? These are the qualities of critical thinking. It's it's problem solving, really. Mm -hmm. And sometimes problem prevention for the future. The, The other area here is creative thinking. What does it look like to not just do what you've done because you've always done it, but to say to yourself, you know, this is always our standard operating procedure, but I'm wondering if we should think about a new process, a new product, a new service, a new way of doing things. And the leader doesn't have to individually by himself or by herself have all of the analytical or critical or creative thinking skill, but it's mm-hmm. the leader who has to make sure that the organization fulfills that level of th- thinking. It's almost like the difference between one-dimensional and three-dimensional chess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. And so um, this is really good stuff, Chuck. I really appreciate you, you coming on. I mean, as let's kind of wrap this up in a little bow here. So if people are, if these leaders on a call, self-aware, 
properly manage their emotions and are, are ex- even expressing their emotions on a regular basis and have this um, understands their, you know, the types of thinking that gets involved with making these decisions to, to move forward. How will this help their business move uh, prosper? Because <laughs> at the end of the day, people are always asking, yes. how's this going to help my business? <laughs> Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it is through strong leadership that we take people to a place they would not have gone on their own. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And I would imagine too, as, especially when they're self-aware um, of their strengths and even their, their weaknesses, that possibly they know how to hire better as far as not just employees, but even managers and potential other leaders underneath them, whether it's general managers or vice presidents, you know, depending on the size of your company. Uh, but they have that self-awareness, I think, would allow you to even choose um, better people around you because good leaders just surround themselves with good people, right? Because we can't do everything. So Absolutely. For sure. And, and then that would be one of those keys to, to growth as well. So that starting from the top, the leader has to be very self-aware, <laughs> manage emotions, um, have that agile thinking, and also make sure they're surrounding themselves with good people. So not trying to take it all on themselves. Right. So I think, yeah. Um, and that's, that's where the, the company, the business starts to grow exponentially is because of that. And it's all starts with those three points we talked about today. So, well, thanks. Yes. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, any last parting thoughts before we sign off here? Well, I would just add one more thing. Those of us who are in leadership, you know, we, in one way or another, we're all following this journey of purpose and team and plan and action, and we're all working on our effectiveness with self-awareness and managing emotions and agile thinking. But we could do all of that fantastically, and we could still be Adolf Hitler. <laughs> yeah. And my point is yeah. Yeah. that at the end of the day, everything in the leadership that I just described to you is circumscribed by character. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the character qualities that we want to bring to the leadership we offer? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think for everyone listening to this podcast to reflect on what are your values? What are your core values as a leader? And what are the values that drive the organization you're leading? Yeah, that's good. Because, yeah, I mean, being a great leader doesn't necessarily mean you're doing great things, right? It all depends on how you utilize your strong leadership ability. And that's a great, great point. A strong, a strong point is that you could be an Adolf Hitler. You have great leadership qualities, uh, but then be like an Adolf Hitler because he uses great leadership qualities to take a country in the wrong, wrong direction. Right. So use your powers for good. Absolutely. Not e- use your powers for good, not evil. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, Chuck, yes. thank you so and much you for. What? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and what does good look like in the place where we're all leading? Yeah. Do we give ourselves permission to ask that question? Yeah. Good. Well, thanks, Chuck, for, again, for, for being on the call. I'm sure this is helpful for a lot of people that are, are listening, and it certainly was helpful for me. And I'm looking forward to, to doing my work with you as well, personally. So, everyone, thank you again for listening. Uh, this is the Purpose and Profitability Podcast. If you have any questions, uh, business questions or topics that you'd like to hear about or hear more about, go ahead and email me at prosper at i61businessdevelopment.com. That's prosper at the letter I, the number 61, 
www.businessdevelopment.com or go to the Facebook page if you're not already on it, Purpose and Profitability. And then tune in again next week as we go live once again. So thanks again. This is Robert Fakui. Thanks for listening. And remember, purpose plus profit equals transformation. God bless everyone. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. For more information, please visit purposeandprofit.com.